I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore this week. We are joined in studio by, uh, I'm very excited about this I must say, returning son of the show, prodigal son oh. if you will, Claire's finest, it's Dahi Droney. Hey, thank you very much. First time you? in Adam's studio. First time in Adam's studio in the, the new no encore era. I, have, I haven't been here before and it's absolutely gorgeous. I find this wild. Adam doesn't have a microphone this week, but he's... he's I he, don't, I can shout though. Yeah. You can shout. The, the classic Adam <laughs> sound on No Encore. <laughs> Adam shouting in the background. <laughs> yeah, so Dahi's also here alongside first-time guest, uh, long-time acquaintance, I suppose. We'll get to that. It's uh, the one and only Robert Higgins. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've listened to it. I'd say first couple of weeks of the show in general. You've been listening so, to the show since then? Yeah, that wow. long. That's fucking unbelievable. So, oh, my God. Yeah. He's an OG fan. Press back in the day, yeah. so this is the thing. So uh, Dahi and Robert are here today to talk about Lakelands, the brand new film, which is out as of this podcast dropping. It's out in select Irish cinemas. We'll talk all about that later in the show. We'll talk about the music of it, the making of it. We're going to get into the whole damn thing, and you know it's a good occasion for you to be on the show. But yeah, straight away, I guess uh, Rob, if I may, do you go by Rob or is that me being too? Rob, yeah. Okay, we're going to do it. We're going to go with Rob. <laughs> uh, you, I have in my notes here the very first thing I wrote down when it came to Q and A for Lakelands, which I was going to do later in the show, but we can just do it now. Uh, Rob's sordid hot press past. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, like unveiled. <laughs> I've talked in this show before. People may not be surprised to learn that I once worked for the, nas- the national magazine of the country, Hot Press. Uh, Rob came along uh, the during... magazine of record. <laughs> <laughs> they should call themselves that. Um, I think they, no, they're like keeping our own safe for rock and roll or something is their insane tagline still. But Rob, uh, you did a stint in Hot Press while I was there. And this would have been, I want to say, 2011, 2012. 
2013, I think it was. Yeah. Even better. Uh, yeah. Now, I remember you being there as this, you know, young, handsome, talented book. And I was like, <laughs> I, I must say, I'm really nervous that I was an asshole. No, you were... <laughs> You were, uh, by far, I would say, the best person in the office, Dave. Unbelievable. Wow. What a wow. result. Wow. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I arrived at the, the hot press, ready to live the, the almost famous kind of dream of being a young music journalist. <laughs> well, we all did. And, we, uh, we all did, yeah. yeah. And uh, Roderick Swiftly <laughs> began transcribing other interviews for people. <laughs> My other journalists were uh, Just kept doing that for months. And then... <laughs> and then uh, Dave was kind of gracious enough. I think he brought me for a pint to uh, Dave Lane and uh, kind of was the first one to lay the, lay the, the cards on the table that uh, this, this is, is not almost famous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you'd figured it out by that point. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad I gave you the armour and the shoulder because I, I genuinely was like, gosh, you know, because I would have been going through a ton of, you know, angst and just <laughs> rage at my situation. So there's every chance I would have just taken it out on, on the new intern or something. So... No, not at all. I remember oh God. Jesus had just come out at the time and we discussed that on the first day and it was good from there. Wow. No. Kanye West always brings people together. That's his going. To well, go look, to. that's a weight off my shoulders. Also a weight <laughs> off my shoulders, uh, as I said to I think I think I said it to you, Rob. I was like, I've, I've seen this film Lakelands and I really liked it, which is a relief <laughs> because <laughs> we'd planned this podcast ages ago. What if I was like, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> like, it's so, it's, the music is awful. Like, like what, what, what would I have done? So no, I, I I really, really like the film. We're going to talk about it later in the show. But uh, as is tradition, you know, like, I mean, we're going to get into the news section. We're going to do that right now. So that sounds like this. Start spreading the news. So yes, that film is Lakelands. And we'll be talking about, I mean, I'm just going to keep saying it, you know, go see the That's film Lakelands. We'll, we'll be talking it. about it later on today. But the first thing we're going to talk about, guys, is Ed Sheeran has prompted some kind of weird 12 Angry Men scenario because, yeah, actually, you know what? The very first thing, before we get to Ed, right? I mentioned it in the Patreon post, the preview post of the episode. It's patreon.com slash noencore. If you want to help support the show, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, more bonus content coming when I figure out more time to do that, by the way, I promise. <laughs> anyway, Dahi, um, this yes. episode almost fell apart this week. Why? <gasps> Why did this episode of the show almost fall apart? What were you doing? Oh, yeah, the, the biggest news, top, top of the news. It's kind uh, of connected to the Ed Sheeran thing in a way. Uh, I, I, got, I was uh, on a jury this, this week. I, I don't know how much I can actually talk about it on, on air. You probably can't, so I won't get into specifics. But just S- Safe to say, like, I got, I got to picked just, for Sorry, just to jump in, it wasn't the Ed Sheeran plagiarism it wasn't. trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it was a local situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I definitely would have been excused from that jury because I'm a musician. But anyway. But essentially, you were like, yeah, I, I, that jury duty thing that we thought might happen has happened, and I don't know if I'll be available for the show. And I'm like, but we're... What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then when I got in, it was like, oh, we're picking like three juries out of these like however many people and it was just like oh my god if i don't get picked for this one i'm gonna miss the iftas for a start <laughs> and like a whole pile of other stuff as well and then so i got i got into that one and the judge was like oh well it's gonna take maybe about like two or maybe three days and the three days is like we would get into no encore time but i got i the, the case was wrapped up 
before uh, before that third day. I, so I did I'm ask glad. you this in the pub, and I, I'll invite you to repeat yourself here. I just <laughs> so the listeners can know when you informed me of the possibility of you not being available for the show. How did I react? You were basically like, "I can't believe you've done this to me." That was that was basically what it was. <laughs> what it what was I said. Like. I was I was watching a poor man on the dock, and all Dave could think about was his podcast. That was that was it. You know, in the dock, in the dock, on the dock is different. On the dock, <laughs> it's more rural, which is appropriate for the film Lakelands, which is set, of course, in rural Ireland, and we'll get there. But the point is, you've made it, and you know what else? Breaking news: Ed Sheeran has made it as well. He's won his plagiarism case. Has he? Yes. Okay. He was actually just in as of this podcast recording. Thank God for that. Yeah, so you're saying this. So he was on trial um, because he was accused of ripping off Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. Now, the big kind of takeaway headline for me was he made a quip that he said if he didn't win, he would quit music. Exactly. So the judge was like, oh my God, we have to. And I was like, <laughs> you know. We can't not have Ed Sheeran in our lives. And that's why I was like, if I was in the scenario, I would be juror number eight and 12 angry men swaying the room <laughs> one by one to make the right call here. <laughs> However, that's me being facetious and whatever. Dahi, why is this important? Because I've seen a lot of people say that if Ed Sheeran loses this trial, this is not good for musicians all over the world. Well, like, I'm kind of, obviously because it's such a heavy kind of a law case, uh, I'm not like 100% on all of the details, but generally it kind of means that like stuff like chord progressions could be kind of put into a situation where if you make a chord progression and some very popular song from back in the 70s, 80s or 90s had that same chord progression, then you would have to go to court or pay royalties for that song, which like would just completely I mean it would be like a like the jackals would just come in then and find every single song that has a chord structure <laughs> similar to what another one and basically kind of completely wipe out music uh, as we know it before the AI does it so like you know we only have a couple of years left here so let's 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 make some more music while we have that how are you feeling on the AI thing it's something we've talked about on the show recently uh yeah it's pretty Freaky. I, th- I think my my positive kind of take on it would be hopefully that uh, it will. I mean, we, we, there's been a there's been a problem in music for the last like almost like twenty years of this idea of um, people using nostalgia as the new new genre. You know, we'll we'll keep going back to the eighties and stuff like that instead of finding these new genres or these new type of things. And you would hope then that if the AI is uh, mimicking and finding stuff that was popular in the past that it might force humanity to make brand new genres like back when hip-hop was like recreated in, in this like new new earth so that's my like positive outlook on it my non-positive outlook on it is basically well i have another positive outlook actually on it as well actually the, this, the, I, I would like to think that it, eventually if there is ai music first of all spotify will completely remove any real artist's like 100%. They'll just have AI people playing on playlists forever. Um, and then maybe we'll become like carpenters. You know, you'll get like, if you want to get like a handmade track, like made by a human, like it's going to be worth so much more than whatever AI stuff that you've been you've been listening to since. You know? Who else thought he meant actual carpenters and was celebrating the death, the <laughs> the death of the musician itself? I was like, how's that positive? <laughs> so uh, alongside Patrick McGivney, uh, Rob, you are the co-director, co-writer and co-producer of Lake Lands, the film that we'll be talking about in depth later on. Dahi is, of course, the man behind the music on this film. But the question is, if Ed Sheeran swooped in at the last minute and said that he would write the score for your movie, would you have to fire Dahi and take Ed Sheeran, who is, of course, clearly the superior musician? I mean, like, this is, there should be no contest, right? <laughs> well, I mean, Ed's clearly got this 
Irish thing he's very uh, <laughs> very into <laughs> yeah he's stealing my, my, my stick like that's fucking awesome, yeah but uh, like uh, I think with the film like Dahi's material is just perfect I think it's kind of this connection between you know we're, we're both kind of he's from the country as well like myself and I think there's that kind of connection yeah. between the he's making youth related stuff as well I think as yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think that was kind of uh, something that tied them together but uh, I mean Ed Ed, you know, he's got <laughs> that beautiful Ed. And now he's under the, out from this court case. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. From the court he's got no baggage case, yeah. anymore, you know. <laughs> well, actually, I, I did. I reviewed his documentary, which is on Disney Plus, uh, and it's four episodes long, half an hour episodes each. I watched it in one sitting the other day, and then I talked about it on the radio at length. And I must say, it's not bad. Not it's bad, actually, really. It's quite well made. Okay, but this is what I was talking about because it's like the time and the fuck. They've time and access. Like, they, like I have time and access today to both of you. You know, Rob, you're in the middle of a press run for this film. Time and access, you know, depending on the level of status or whatever, it's even like, you know, with independent stuff, it's not always a guarantee. Like, so to get time and access with someone is what every journalist and broadcaster wants mm-hmm. and needs. And in the case of an Ed Sheeran, who's so fucking untouchable, of course the documentary's good. Yeah. They, Disney paid a lot of money, had an incredible fucking camera crew follow him around for two years. Like, it would be a shock if you didn't get good material. But he's, he, he's an interesting, weird character as well, right? Yeah, like the, yeah. The he whole is. setup and even like these like massive arena tours where like his his singular performance thing is such a small thing that's amplified into such a big level, and that's really kind of what his whole thing has been about for so long. You know, uh, are you a fan of Ed Sheeran? Uh, I actually found him kind of interested in there's the recent article in The Guardian which is actually with Aaron Desner which is like actually one of the most personal <laughs> interviews Ed Sheeran's probably ever done <laughs> even though it's not by him <laughs> Focused like, by him like he that. really opens up about Ed a lot in it really, it's actually yeah. really interesting um, but I suppose the whole selling point which uh, I believe on last week's episode was a bugbear of yours Dave was that it is one of the most personal albums stuff is uh, oh yeah 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 of course <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we enjoyed that one, the, didn't the, we? the, the press round has been actually a little bit interesting though because it's it a little been. bit less just yeah. a generic kind of mega pop star kind of thing it was going into his personal actually going into it a bit true Aaron Desner to be fair but uh, yeah it's been well, interesting to be fair, like, like, it's a good point because like, the joke is, is kind of on me because I found myself watching this documentary about his most personal album to date and I actually was like oh I was kind of moved by it like it actually this does apply this time there are actual reasons in his personal life which make it that way even if like you know he's there's a part where he's singing the song perfect and I, and I, and I was watching it and I was like man these lyrics are trash I was like this is just so saccharine and so cloying, and I can't believe it. And then the next sentence is him being like, that's the best song I've ever written. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, it isn't. It's fucking Love Yourself, which he gave to Justin Bieber. That's the best song you've ever written, Ed. Anyway, look, I could talk about Ed Sheeran all day, but I won't do that. Um, have we heard the news that Matty Healy and Taylor Swift are apparently dating each other? I did hear, yeah. The great Norma Howard told me uh, the great er- Norma Howard. Early, early in the morning and I was just like Did she oh. wake you up? She basically She basically woke me up to say Did you hear that they're dating Come now? Quick. Yeah And my, my initial reaction was like Like uh, it, was, it was like the <laughs> It's a bit like Succession. I was just like, Matty Healy's like not a serious person. Like you're not, you're not going out with Matty Healy as like this long term thing. Like, and they're full on. They're saying that it's like, oh, this is this matches perfectly because they're both like huge mega pop stars, and this like aligns. That has never worked in, in the entire history of music. I'm sure there's and, uh, a couple like, out there who've made it work. Beyonce and Jay Z, not pop, but mega stars in music. But even that, there was a lot. Of, and there's there been no of, trouble in that marriage whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> of course. Uh, I'm going to read now, um, maybe in full, the several paragraphs I've downloaded from the Daily Mail on this right. one, because it's really, it's, it's big tabloid stuff. And again, I think mm-hmm. Rob will appreciate this as someone who had to suffer through a lot of hot press copy for a while. <laughs> so this is how the Daily Mail have sold it, right? Taylor Swift has reportedly moved on with another British heartthrob just weeks after her split from actor Joe Alwyn. That's a really good opening paragraph. If any journalists and students listening, you want to write for tabloids, it's all in there. Heartthrob is a good one. Heartthrob is a good one. I'll tell you one I love, right? Dave Higgins loves this as well. The phrase love rat. <laughs> Where else do you love see it? Love rat is good. Yeah, it's yeah, fucking... Yeah. Inc- that is one that name. Has- love rat. Yeah. <laughs> the love rats, yeah. I'm writing that one now. But like, love rat is great because it's managed to survive every era of tabloid journalism. It's the most <laughs> 80s construct. <laughs> and it's still used 50 years later or whatever the fuck it is. So the 33-year-old singer, that's always good, get some information in there with the age, is said to be, quote, madly in love with the 1975 frontman Matty Healy, 34, after their long-term friendship blossomed into romance. You guys can interrupt me at any point, by the way, throughout this. No, you... we're, we're, we're sitting on the edge of our seats. Yeah. <laughs> you have anything to add? <laughs> the duo, who first met in 2014, are now gearing up to go public with their romance during her concert in Nashville, Tennessee on Friday. That's insane. Like, R- that's Reports crazy. the sun. <laughs> so she's going to do a big reveal of the relationship on stage. Is that Boyfriend it? reveal. Um, like, you know... If Taylor, you know, she'll find a way. She did appear previously as a guest at the 1975 shows in London, of course. Remember? Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, so maybe there's something in it, you know. Could be. They they dated for a stint at some point. Apparently, good day. use of stint. It's more sports. Stint, stint is more sports. Like yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. he said, a, like he, they they had a <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that works. And stint has negative <laughs> connotations, but yeah. it, but you're on the right track though. Stint, I, I, stint is good. Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, like I say, it's more back page of the day. A, d- a dalliance. Dalliance is too highbrow for the yeah, Daily Mail. Too highbrow for what's going on here. It's more like the Observer or something. Yeah. Um, news of the new romance. So using the word romance twice in two paragraphs. That's pretty sloppy. Comes go. just weeks after it emerged that Taylor split from her boyfriend of six years, Joe, thirty-two, after the pair struggles with their career differences. Yet despite the short turnaround, Taylor is said to be madly in love. There's that quote again with Mash, who is the son of Loose Women star Denise Welsh and Benidorm actor Tim Healy. Yes, that's right. So he's a nepo baby. <laughs> he is a nepo baby. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how do we feel about Nepo babies, guys? <laughs> I'm all for them. Are you a Nepo baby? Because like you're, like, uh, my grandfather is a concertina player. Yeah, so if that 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 probably doesn't filters down. Nepo baby. You're a Nepo grandbaby. A Nepo grandbaby. Nepo grandbaby. Ireland's first Nepo grandbaby. <laughs> oh, there's definitely been more. Can we get that, that on the Lakelands poster? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Score composed Score by. Score composed by. Dave underneath. <laughs> Dave yeah. news of the world. Uh, <laughs> the rumored romance with Matt is the latest in a string of British. A string of British boyfriends, not a stint. A string of British boyfriends for Taylor, who, as well as her last relationship with Joe, has dated Harry Styles, Calvin Harris, and Tom Hiddleston. Okay. So yeah. there you go. She's got a type. She has British people. English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, an insider told the publication, uh, now this is the best part, this is where we get to the completely made up quote. She and Maddie are madly in love. It's super early days, but it feels right. They first dated very briefly. <laughs> Says this source, like, <laughs> yeah. that is insane. It first dated very briefly right. almost 10 years ago, but timings just didn't work out. The source went on to insist that there was no crossover in Taylor's love life, despite news of her split from Joe emerging last month, insisting that they actually broke up in February. Uh, source adds, oh, sorry, there's a great line here. Ins- so. I love the insisting suggests that, like, she that's did not, not true. cheat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no one cheated. Yeah. Uh, she's currently in the middle of the US leg of her era's tour, while 1975 are on their own tour. But the source insisted they have kept in constant communication by texting and FaceTiming. Never done before. It's crazy kids. It. Changing the no. communication game. Real innovators. The source added, as two international megastars, they understand the pressures of one another's jobs better than anyone and are incredibly supportive of their respective careers. 
They're both massively proud and excited about this relationship. And unlike Taylor's last one, which is very much kept out of the spotlight deliberately, she wants to, quote, own this romance and not hide it away. Taylor just wants to live her life and be happy. She's told pals that Matty is flying to Nashville over the weekend to support her on the next leg of her tour. Oh my God. Watch this space. As Zara Hedeman said on Twitter, the breakup album is going to be excruciating. <laughs> so yeah. On both sides. On both sides. <laughs> Content mill, isn't it? Like there's it feels yeah. so like that. Yeah. It feels really intensely like that. A lot look, of content. I wish them well. Sure, look. They're, They're very divisive figures. Have you uh, have you encountered any live shows of these acts before, or do you have a do you have a Zara Hedeman esque uh, hatred for Matty Healy? Any kind of I've kind of mixed feelings on them. Um, I have actually been on the list to see them live because I actually heard they're quite good live. But uh, are, yeah, it, it's generally yeah. quite a good show. Yeah, I find them quite interesting at po- to a point, and then I usually cross that point into annoying, and then. <laughs> The cycle continues, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's, it's ongoing, but it, I do like that he's a bit more. I do often kind of bemoan that there's not enough people who are kind of being a bit more out there in terms yeah, of the, yeah, your rock stars and, and stuff yeah, yeah. and being eccentric weirdos. And it's good for this. It's good overall it's if good there's more the of that. But, <laughs> yeah, it's good for the tabloid journalism yeah. now. Um, Dahi has brought some vinyl to the studio today in that he bought some vinyl for himself I thought you were going to give it away on the show I was like what are you doing 1975 entire discography yeah 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 no it's not that rams together with Taylor Swift's entire what did you buy what's in your bag we'll do that thing that they do I got DJ Koze's album Knock 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 that's right yeah which is an absolutely incredible album a lot of really nice Rosha Murphy tracks on that and then one of Dave's favourites just to make him jealous was uh the assassination of Jesse James's soundtrack. Yeah, by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Dahi did in fact bring this just to make me jealous. It is. That's exactly why I did it. It's there was a, a there excellent was, record. There was a weird. I wonder where you stand on this, Adam. There was a weird debate in the pub where Dahi was taking the price tags off the vinyl because he thought it was gauche. Yeah, it's like it's the same as uh, if it's you give a you, gift to somebody. You take the that's take the price understandable. Tag I think it's fine. You weren't flashing your wealth around. Sure, I know you're not flashing your, but it's more like it's like. Uh, it's distracting from the music. <laughs> I don't think it is. You would get distracted by the price of the record and that would be the conversation instead of actually talking about the music. The reason I mention this is because Fallout Boy are changing the vinyl game. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. They're selling records packaged with, quote, real tears from the band. So is, is it packaged with real tears or is the vinyl record itself like made with tears like mixed into the wax well it's an edition of the new album so much for stardust and they're calling it crinal let's call the vinyl a crinal (laughs) the idea is that the lps are made with band members tears inside the actual vinyl and they retail for a hundred american dollars how limited is the run uh, that's a great question. Fifty, it's only fifty. Okay, fifty. Yeah, Not they're probably sold. Oh, no, yeah, sorry, they have in fact Tears. sold out immediately. So, so my my issue with this would be that I would need to know before my purchase who cried. Uh, not only who cried, but what they were crying about. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like it, there has to be some sort of intention with the tears, or else they just like put like teardrops in their eyes and then just dropped it into the vinyl. Intention with the tears. Context, yeah, there is no value. <laughs> exactly. There's no value in tears unless you know what the tears are about. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fair. Uh, you make a good point. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, what if, okay, what if someone cried at Lakelands? You know, would you want to have someone in the cinema? 100% I would love a jar of their tears. If the, if I knew, 
if it I was knew, the score. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was definitely the score. If, if they knew, the performances were okay, but that score. <laughs> but if I knew that they were crying because of the film, not because of it's some very, other it's, reason, it's a moving film, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's so, affecting. But you would want you you need the context of what they were crying about, like. Like, you couldn't have somebody crying over something else and then go into the film. What if someone cried over spilt milk? I, uh, I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't buy that. <laughs> okay. Why? Just, like, get on because with it? Because I feel that's... Like, I don't care. I don't care if they cry over spilt Jesus, milk. Jesus, tough I crowd. care if they cry about Lakelands. But, yeah. like, you, you need some sort of intention to the tears and, and that would that would decide my, my sale. Is that an emotion that you want to evoke from people, Rob? Do you want people walking out of that cinema on a Friday night bawling? Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually think... Uh, there's moments. If it's yeah, there's, I think it's a not not too sad of a tear. Oh, it's, it's kind not, of a more it's, bittersweet thing. Yeah, it's not that which I don't like, yeah. mind crying as much. There's, there's one particular moment in the film where the first time I saw like the first rough edits of the film, like I immediately got like really tearful. Yeah, yeah, yeah it got me a couple of times too. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that though. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap up now the, the news section by noting that uh, Nick Cave has defended his decision to attend the royal crowning of King Charles the Third. Getting cancelled, so he is for this. Um, he basically said he's not our monarchist. He's free to do whatever he wants, and he doesn't support the monarchy. But he wants to go to the party, apparently, which is kind of weird. I, I I see both sides of this. I see people being like, "Fuck Nick Cave, how dare he!" Um, and I see the idea of him just being like, it "Just sounds like a weird time," and I kind of want to experience yeah, it. Yeah, would you not want to be there for that moment in history? I, just to there. clarify, I'm I'm no royalist myself, but I do think the timing of this is strange, though, because Dahi, um, the last time you were on No Encore, <laughs> you released your most recent record. Yes. Which, of course, plug it, come on. For everyone uh, the to... record? Yes. Uh, I'm Here Now, it's called. It is. It's available at all good bookstores. So yes, it is, yeah. Go listen. It's a great <laughs> album. But you had your launch party on the day that the Queen died, which was a coincidence. I did, actually, yeah. I did. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> and, about that. And, yeah. now, and now you're gearing up to release the score to this film uh, around the time of the coronation. Yeah, it's all, it's all intentional. So that's weird. <laughs> I thought that was really fucking weird. I was like, well, there must be a royal engagement every time you release. It's, it's weird that like people are so uh, adamant that Nick Cave shouldn't go, even though like you know from Australia, like it'd be, it'd be weird if he was colonized by the British, like, of course. You know, yeah, but like, if I have that correctly, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's true. Yeah, yeah it is, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yes, of I think course, he gave a very is. good response. My history, as bad. as I would expect Nick Cave to give in this situation, like, yeah, and he was, was getting he was getting very like you know aggressive. He, kinda, he cut through the bullshit very quickly. He was just yeah. like like, geez, if you were asked to go, why wouldn't you not go just for the crack to see it? How weird it is! Like, I saw that picture the other day of like the weird like the Stone of Destiny thing. Did you see that thing? <laughs> it's like Indiana Jones. It's shit, so like. weird. Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. So like, you know, I suppose if I wasn't Irish, I would probably. I'd be like, yeah, fuck it, I'd go see what it was like. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with this, which isn't me endorsing the royals. I just don't really care who goes. I wouldn't be like, get the fuck. I wouldn't do the Stephen yeah. Ray meme. Would you um, go yourself, Dave, is the question. For if work. you got invited. If, if I was covering it for work, which i not my field, but like... If you got inv- invited as why like would an I Irish be, dignitary. But I'm to, not, I'm not the, that. The, the Nick Cave treatment level. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I'm not, I haven't... Like, <laughs> I can't envision a scenario <laughs> where we like your show. Like, That's as far as your imagination goes and then it just like drops off a cliff. I have to be realistic about this kind of thing. Why am I getting invited to this insane event? Like... To give uh, one quote from Nick here, he said, as for what the young Nick Cave would have thought, well, the young Nick Cave was, in all due respect to the young Nick Cave, young. And like many young people, mostly demented. So I'm a little cautious around using him as a benchmark for what I should or should not do. He was cute, though. I'll give him that. Deranged, but cute. So with all that in mind, I'm looking forward to going to the coronation. I think I'll wear a suit. Um, look, I don't give a fuck what he does. Like, it's fine. Like, I don't know. Why, like, I, I do know why people are annoyed. Like, I'm not... 
obviously fuck the royal family, fuck the monarchy. It's all bullshit and they don't care about people and they are gauche scumbags who I have no time for. But it doesn't bother me that Nick Cave is going to just have a few glasses of champagne and like hopefully mock it, maybe write a song about it. I don't fucking know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. People are like, he should be hanged. And it's like, really? Like this empathetic guy who, you know, like, who cares? Like why? I don't know why people care about this so much. I just don't know. I just don't know, okay? I just don't know, Dahi. Stop. It's a better question Stop why he me. got invited. That's another that's like that's another question. Like, Has he been honored? Is he an MBE or something, possibly? Maybe. He's been living in Britain for quite some time. So yeah. based in the UK. He is, yeah, he's UK. based in Brighton. So maybe, I so, think. And I think that's the reason like why they said he was invited was because it was just like, oh well they're like Australian people of note who live in I don't UK think he's he's not playing at it, right? No, he isn't playing at it, no. He's who just, is? Uh, I had a fucking list of people. It's not a great lineup. There's been lots of like Katy will... Perry, I think, is playing. Fuck's sake, why? Why? Uh, somebody else. <laughs> there was talk of, you know, oh, Harry Styles. Yeah, Katy Perry, Lionel Richie, and Andrea Bocelli. Okay, fair enough. So Andrea Bocelli go. is a good coronation act. Sure, yeah. Uh, Adam? I've done some very, very mild research. Uh, Nick Cave is an officer of the Order of Australia. Of Australia? An officer okay. of the Order of Australia. So he's Nick Cave AO. All right. You know, Ed, Sheeran, Ed Sheeran's an MBE. Is he? Yeah. So he's most excellent member of the Order of the British Empire. Dude. Um, most excellent member. So he's in Wayne's World. Like, yeah. <laughs> saying he held Bill and Ted. Sword, and there's a picture of it or something? Is, was there like a wacky picture of him holding like the Coronation Sword or something? Ed Sheeran? Yes. Maybe. I feel like that's a thing. He wears a, he wears a Cradle of Filth hoodie in the new documentary. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, Ed, go for it. Point. Yeah. <laughs> is, that what, is that what flipped you on the One whole, point the to Ed. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it wasn't him talking this guy, about. It wasn't this guy's him, on my level. It, it wasn't him talking about the death of his best friend and grief and me <laughs> nodding along, being like, "That's actually really true, Ed." Oh, we're brothers now. It was the cradle of filth hoodie <laughs> <laughs> at the very end of the documentary <laughs> that did it. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Right, listen, speaking of uh, cinematic engagements, it's time to talk about the new motion picture, Lakelands, uh, which my two wonderful guests were heavily involved in, in the fact that they created it. So we're going to hear the trailer now, so have a listen to that. Do you remember anything about the attackers? 
We're at the same age as me, but could be anyone. Three on one, boys. Sure this is fair on you. Consider yourself lucky. Some lads don't get the chance to come back from an injury like this. Stay away from the football till you're back to yourself. Grand holiday for you. I'm telling you, lads, if I'd been there, it would have went down different. Since when is Grace home? Thought we'd lost you to the English. You haven't changed a bit. Can't have passengers this year. Need you leading by example. Don't worry about me. And don't give me reason to them. People go away and then they think they're different to the people who stayed. You've got such a chip on your shoulder against anyone that ever left. If you hurt yourself again, it could result in permanent damage. Did you get checked up? They said it's fine. You're not focused, Keen. You're all over the shop. You can't play football. It's not the end of the world. Can't even look after my own farm anymore. Take the rest of the day off. What? You know, it knocks some sense into you. The bullshit stops here, lad. I'm being patient with you, but you're running on the road here. We're in law school. Do you know that? choose how long these things last. All you can do is make them awesome while they're there. That is the uh, highly emotional trailer for Lakelands. So, uh, Rob, we'll start with you. Uh, how many times have you seen the trailer, heard the trailer, seen the film? <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to wonder at this point of the film coming out, out, of course, now, as of the podcast being out, I can't imagine it's like watching a different... Like, I, I assume it's it comes in very different fragments for you and also... Can you get sick of your own film? Like, is that fair to even ask? <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, we were estimating how many times we've probably seen it between the edit and stuff, and it was coming in at close to two hundred at that point. <laughs> and yeah, it gets a little bit rough after that. That, that many do times. You, do you uh, do you log it on Letterbox two hundred times? Five point five. But uh, yeah, it's just it. Like, what's good about it, I suppose, is after you give it a sizable break, you can kind of enjoy it a little bit again. But like, when you're editing it and you're like, right, I guess we're plugging in for an hour, 40 minutes one more time and just keep <laughs> going through it. Like, it gets really difficult to kind of see see beyond it. Like, but I guess just giving it that break, like, it can kind of, you can kind of, you'll never get the feeling of what it was before or judge it completely like mm. a viewer would, but you can kind of see it like the parts are working and that and what aren't working and stuff. So, yeah, it's 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 a gradual kind of get used to it. It's um, it. <laughs> it was uh, it was cool hearing the trailer there, like on Adam's gorgeous monitor speakers, and just hearing the kind of the sound design and just the emphasis, and even like you know, there's this scene where a character is physically attacked, and just sounds huge, like like everything sounds so crisp. And Dahi's music obviously weaved into the mix. We'll get to the music and how that even came to be. But uh, can you give us some background on the film? I mean, like it's about a GAA player who's kind of a fading star in his local town. It's it's set in the town that you're from, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, Granard, Granard, Longford, I was, I was yeah, Granard. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Granard in Longford. So you're looking to kind of showcase because the, the character of Keane played brilliantly by uh, Aina Hardwick. Yeah. Uh, tremendous performance. I mean, I found myself as the film was going on being like, it's not that I don't like this guy, but he's not like, he's not always lovable, you know, and he's very fucking self destructive in a way that a lot of young Irishmen can be, a lot of young men in general. Uh, what was the inspiration for, for putting this down on paper and putting it together? Yeah, so it's definitely inspired by our hometown in Granard and like probably a lot of our kind of 
circle growing up, myself and my co-writer director Paddy would have grown up in uh, playing GAA like um, in in Longford. You know, it's kind of one of those places where it's uh, you're pretty much conscripted into it. Like, and you can't don't, you don't really have much much say in it. Like, but like just huge amounts of positives uh, to it. Like, you know, it's it's great for like part of the community. It's great for building your friend groups and all the rest. But there's like a lot of negative parts to it as well. You know, there's a lot of pressure. People, you know, and then we were kind of using that as a jumping off point to look at like a lot of stuff, you know, young, young people deal with like, and as you were alluding to there, like, I mean, the character, uh, you know, he goes through a lot through the film. And I suppose we were conscious of, um, you know, not shying away from him uh, doing potentially some unlikable stuff and like kind of pushing that line a little bit because we wanted to try and get to that kind of interest and meaty material, I suppose, which is maybe a little beyond the line sometimes but you gotta you know in real life you often see it often does go there so we wanted to kind of go there with the film as well and hopefully we don't go too far that you, you lose too much of the audience sympathy but you know striking that balance I suppose between uh, between reality and kind of authenticity and, and that sympathy yeah, I was really, I was really affected by the the writing of the character and the performance, which I think is fantastic. Uh, really, really excellent lead performance here by Aina Hardwick, uh, matched ably, uh, brilliantly as well by uh, Danielle Galligan, who is the co lead of this film. Um, we'll get to her, of course, but the character of Keen. I mean, I was watching the film and like I found myself being like, oh man, no, don't like, like, come on, like, please don't <laughs> do this. You know, which I think is, you know, I guess a good sign of being drawn into the character. I mean, I. Uh, I, I wonder what it's like working with an actor in that regard. I mean, like, it's your script. Is there ever any kind of room for the actor to say, well, I don't think Keen would do that. I don't know what Aina's like. I mean, like, how how was it kind of crafting the character with him? Yeah, it was it was brilliant, actually. He's a really collaborative uh, actor and... Um, he, we had, a, we were lucky enough. We got a little grant from the Backstage Theatre in Longford to bring some of the actors down. So, Aina came down for uh, a couple of days and was essentially he was being called acting research, but he was essentially just working Paddy's dad's farm for several days, <laughs> just uh, mucking out sheds and uh, like uh, just general farm work. But. Um, it was it was a really important part of the process because we'd bring them around all the kind of local spots where we would hung out as teenagers and literally the place the film takes shot in is where we grew up in and it's nearly happening places that were close to where real act, act, actions happened. Um, so it was great to kind of immerse him in that and then he would bring a lot of his own kind of ideas and stuff and he's he's just a great, he's a really creative artist and he brought so much to it. Uh, so much of his own personal stuff and I think that can really like I think that's something that's kind of part of our process as well it's uh, we always have a, quite a tight script but we're always open to kind of people bringing their own things in and if if it's not feeling natural to say it this way or this sentiment behind it opening it up to the point where it's a collaborative um, conversation then ultimately I think you end up with actors having ownership of the of the roles in a, a little bit of a different way when you're directing and trying to shoot the thing in 17 days or like which is really tight like they know it so much they know it so well like it's it's you're you're doing a, le- a lot less work with them because it's 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 already been done i suppose in a way it's like 17 days sounds quite breakneck it's uh, insane yeah it's <laughs> absolutely crazy to make a film uh, how much of that is is down to rehearsals like and knowing every single fucking part of this like yeah i think it was mostly um getting the character work because Aina and Danny um, 
and Lorcan and Gary and all this, David and all the supporting class are great. But uh, the most workshopping we did would have been with Aina and Danny and they're like, they're amazing actors and their backgrounds in theatre. So they're used to doing things perfect every time. So I think you're just getting it to a point where you're working on the character and, and they they feel comfortable with who the character is and, and how a character would exist and operate within a given situation. And from that, uh, if your actors are like so good, it takes so much to work out of it. Like, I mean, you feel just blessed sometimes. You're just sitting there kind of watching different, you know, they might give you an option or two, but, that, but it's just all amazing. Like, and you could use use most of it, like really, like, but um, yeah, we were just blessed with having them two two leads that were were so strong. Yeah, and it's good that you're not one of those like say it the way I wrote it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I had in mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, in this film, uh, Keen again, who's like clearly a fiercely talented uh, footballer, but he's distracted by you know kind of just going out and having fun with his mates, etc. Uh, the kind of early on in the film, he receives uh, an assault from three lads. Uh, on a drunken night out and as a result it turns out he has concussion and may have to retire he of course is violently against this idea Uh, I think the timing of this coming out is really interesting because concussion protocols in sports is something that is still filtering in in a lot of places even in the Premier League and football like it's it's kind of it you know I guess in NFL in America it's kind of come on a bit more there but I think we're still very behind on this and there's still a lot of people who oppose it there's still and I have to imagine I don't know I've never played the game you have but like I have to imagine maybe this is stereotypical of me and if it is I apologize but I have to imagine that there's probably some kind of like be a man you know about this kind of stuff walk it off like don't you know and I think the film confronts that quite well and there is definitely like pressure on him to ignore a doctor tells him you can't play again basically and he has he's in denial and people around him are obviously encouraging him to just get on with it so I mean like that kind of conversation is like we're probably not having that conversation enough right now and I wonder like the film coming out at this moment like it feels especially relevant from my point of view even watching it casually in the writing of it and putting it together was that a message that you kind of wanted to get across or yeah big time like we talked a lot of, like it was very prevalent in our in our own club a lot of people dealt with this when we were growing up we talked a lot of like um sports people who dealt with this you know uh, we talked a lot with Laurie Ryan who's the the captain of Clare ladies and she was a consultant on this and she experienced this uh, very first hand like a couple of years ago and there has been some inroads made in on, in on it but uh, I still think it's not really where it probably needs to be particularly in contact sports like this and yeah we just wanted to kind of shine light a bit on it and I suppose it's interesting because it's an invisible injury and particularly when there's as you said that kind of be a man attitude and like get on with it which is really pervasive in these being seen as weak yeah absolutely like and this is so pervasive like I remember growing up with it like there would always be that even if you're injured like whatever your leg it was always uh, uh in, in, they nearly insinuate you you weren't as, as sore as you were or hurt as you were mm. and just get on with it like so that's kind of a pressure that weighs down on them through the film and we wanted to use that as a part of a way to kind of get into the deeper questions I suppose of, of why those things are asked and why it's why there's this expectation on, on young people to like perform this this uh, thing that's not necessarily necessary yeah, I feel like people will, will be very receptive to that. I wonder if there might be an older guard that might reject it still, but obviously that's their problem, you know, and mm-hmm. like that is, like you can't, not everyone's going to agree on that point of view, but 
I think it's a very real issue, um, but also very real, of course, is the music in this film, Doggy. <laughs> and, uh, nice. We should talk about um, it's weird because like uh, every time a character goes into a pub or a nightclub, like Doggy's music is just playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Did you know that you such a following in Granard? <laughs> it was always a push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we we were conscious of that as well. Is that like you know there was like certain areas where you're kind of like you're like okay, it needs a specific type of music that will actually definitely work in this area that will definitely like happen or whatever. That was such a big thing. But even like I mean, what Rob was saying there about like you know that kind of thing where there's like a pressure for everybody to kind of push on with somebody like that as well like a guy like that living in the, in, a, in a village like that as well like the thing that struck me kind of the most when I first started writing the music for it was like this just this idea that this dude's like entire like identity you're completely built around like who you are when you play sport and the farm and like that was such a huge thing for him and like in one kind of foul shot that whole thing gets taken away and like how do you how do you like deal with that completely it would be it would be similar if like i lost music like that was basically the thing it was just like that was the only thing i could compare it to it's like your entire identity as a person is completely taken away and how do you like deal with that and that was like a really big push when writing any of the melodies and and how the thing felt like you know well let's take a look uh, listen rather not a look it's an audio medium dave <laughs> let's take a listen to some of Dahi's music from the film lakelands work there as it, as it played on those, on those lovely speakers. Lovely speakers. That is from Lakelands, that is Dahi, of course. Uh, we'll get in, well, I guess you can maybe give us some backstory on how you guys work together in the first place, but I also want to know that like this as your first feature film score, Dahi, which of course has been nominated for an Irish Film and Television Award. The film has been multi-nominated for IFTAs, which take place this weekend. Best of luck, guys. Thank you very much. Um, I want to know what the brief is like on this for you and you know how much freedom you had and what you kind of, like how you chose to go down this particular uh, motif and yeah. musical road. So myself and Rob and Paddy worked before on a short that they did before this, which is called Drifting, uh, which was starring Paul Meskel. And with that one, um, it was quite interesting because, you know, like it's also based in a kind of a small town, but the story feels very, very different because the character that Paul Meskel played was much more kind of arms flailing, like extremely off the handle kind of all the time. So like the music lent itself to be on a much more kind of heavier, dancier set, which I think is why Rob and Paddy came to me because of that like kind of, the the rural Ireland aspect along with a lot of the kind of the dance stuff and everything. So then when they came to me with with, with this film, um, it was just really, really different because the, the, the film itself is a much more methodical, much more kind of thoughtful kind of thing. 
and uh, the 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 main note that they gave me at the very start was that it just needed to be really stripped back, like that the music just needed to feel like it was kind of this thing that was very much in the background that they didn't want to like use the music to kind of push on any emotion in this like really extreme way, you know, like it. And they were completely right. Like when you when you watch the film, like if there was this big emotive like string thing that like explodes at a certain point, it would just really ruin the vibe. Like you kind of have to kind of let the actors and the visual kind of do the work and have this music kind of build in behind it, you know? And then like from there, they were really, really good at kind of giving me a kind of a free reign to kind of try and find stuff. Generally for, for score work like this, what, what I would generally do is before like even a kind of a note of music is written, I would try and find um, what I would kind of refer to as a palette, which is basically like you try and find essentially the instruments that work really well in in this situation so um i remember we were i think it was between lockdowns or something like that was it or something? and and they came over to the house and i kind of had like an ableton file a, 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 a computer that was completely like just had like seven or eight different instruments kind of lined up that i could play on a keyboard or whatever and then i was like well i think we should do this or we can try this we can try this and we kind of landed on um kind of two main kind of parts of the palette and one of them was this kind of guitar sound which is this like very clear very simple acoustic guitar sound it's it's not like a traditional irish music type thing but it, it has a quite like a rural feel to it um, and that was kind of one of the main things is this kind of thing where you can kind of create so much with just these singular kind of plucks. And then we also used like a sound that denoted the the concussion, which was basically this deep, dark, lo-fi kind of synthesizer sound that like is breaking up loads and has all this weird kind of like stuff falling apart. And it's just you're trying to find what a concussion would sound like inside somebody's head um which was really fun to do and like then once we kind of agreed on those two parts i mean there was some extra little bits and pieces but like that was the main thing and it was such a freeing thing it's like once we were all on the same page and knew what the palette was it was so easy then to go in and kind of go like okay well i can write the melodies of what what's needed in those certain parts knowing that we have these like touchstone these anchors of each of each piece you know which is great and so I guess like working on that short film going to this there's obviously a level of trust here so if you could like, I guess let me know about, about that relationship but also congratulations on discovering Paul Meskel that's uh, <laughs> you were right in I there. hope he sends you some Gladiator 2 money when, it, yeah. when that gets off the ground chasing him <laughs> so yeah how did you find like kind of going from short to feature with, with Dahi kind of based on and also uh, why did you want the music particularly like why, why that note like, like why strip everything back um yeah, I suppose so. And drifting, as as Tahi said, it's kind of a much more frantic kind of piece. Um, the characters are all kind of early 20s and the whole thing is a little bit more mm. full on. So we went with a lot more full on music for that. But uh, with this, I guess it's kind of a quieter kind of meditative piece, really. Um, the, the, the characters are all six or seven years older and they're kind of all kind of at different parts of their lives. And just the style we were going for with it the kind of references to films we were looking at were all kind of quite stripped back. And I'd, I'd heard like that he had done a lot of kind of work in that vein as well that I'd, I'd heard in kind of short films as well. Um, what, what, what Lakelands became was, uh, was obviously quite different, but I um, was really interested to kind of work with him in that kind of more stripped back kind of format, I suppose. So um, yeah, like it, it came together really, really, it, it, the relationship was really good and really quick. Um, as as I was saying, we 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 clicked with what we wanted on it really, mm. really early on it, and we were actually able to get in the same room this time, which is great because the last one was 
during proper yeah, yeah, yeah. full on. I'd never, I'd never met the two yeah. lads before the day that they came to my house. I think I was we were, that. we were zooming, um, and <laughs> we I were was, zooming. didn't even have a. <laughs> I think my girlfriend had the the main room. I was yeah, like yeah, in, yeah. in bed zooming to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the, the camera being like up towards the yeah. roof and Rob's head like peeking over the thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do this. So being able to be in the same room as well definitely uh, <laughs> shaves off a lot of time when you're uh, looking at. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you should have, but. Um, um, yeah, like I mean, we agreed on the kind of the, what the what the general kind of key key tools would be. Um, the palette, as as he referred to it there, and from there it was quite it was quite a smooth process. Quite quickly, like I think it was just kind of tweaks here and there, really, yeah. and it was it was really streamlined, which yeah. was great because uh, it was a fairly tight delivery time as well from when <laughs> we shot it to, to premiering it. So it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it should be said as well that like Robin Paddy, like. I mean, it's a massive success story in terms of like making a film like it's making a film is just so incredibly hard and so insanely expensive and like just absolutely crazy. And like the fact that they've kind of made a film for the way that they made it, you know, I mean, I think you guys said it before that it's kind of uh, the village had a lot to do with it kind of coming in underneath you as well. And a lot of people, you know, I mean, like, God, it's a lot of people's first film as well. You know, like I think the GOP's first feature film. It looks fucking um, gorgeous. And it looks way. gorgeous. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just really, I think everybody kind of came in under them kind of kind of going like, OK, this is an amazing story. I, like everybody kind of really stood up and kind of said, okay, I can really, really make this like the best it can possibly be. And, and it's, it's a, it's really, really nice to be part of a team like that. Like you kind of get very proud about that kind of stuff as well, you know? So uh, let's have a listen to the soundtrack now. So the, the first track that we played a while ago was uh, A Place of My Own, which is based around Keen's kind of uh, <laughs> relationship with the bottom field. It's like he has a farm and like he has these like amazing moments where he's just, he's, he's happiest when he's just like sitting in a field, like with a cow, just like hanging out, like looking out over the river. Like it's gorgeous. Describing a very different film here. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And then uh, the second one is Concussion, which is ba- based around like the kind of the deep, dark, horrible feeling of a concussion as well. And then both those pieces are being, are the versions that are put on this album, which is like a kind of an album version of the soundtrack, which I made afterwards and will be out on May 12th. Yes. For your so listening pleasure. A week after this podcast drops, which is great. Mm. Fucking well done. Um, did you Google what does a concussion sound like? Like, like how deep did you go down this rabbit hole? Because that's a fascinating thing yeah. to have to try and find audio for. No, like I, I like I kind of it was like I kind of like looked up at kind of like how concussions work and like kind of small little pieces like that and kind of 
people who had discussions or discussions concussions have de- like discussions kind of described about it, concussions have described it on like YouTube and stuff like that and, and this feeling this kind of uncertain feeling of just not feeling yourself is like this really kind of recurring thing and I, I think that's a really interesting part of the film as well is that like Ian Harwick does this amazing job of like after he gets hit like he, he kind of he doesn't feel like a different person but there's something there's just something off with him all the time and he kind he's of vulnerable he's fragile he's vulnerable and it's just he like not, he obviously is getting these like big crazy headaches and these flashes of pain and stuff but even apart from that he just like he's like unsettled and he's just like not on it and stuff like that and that that to me sounds like an idea where there's a sound that's being dragged apart and taken apart and it doesn't really it's not very clear and stuff and to me that's like this lo-fi cassette kind of feel and stuff so so that was like a very kind of a clear like image for me and I, I think that that one in particular I remember like playing this instrument that I had built of this like lo-fi organy sound and you were, you were both immediately just kind of going like, that's exactly what it's mm-hmm. like that's exactly what we're trying to get as well so like there is an immediate feeling of that as well but um, yeah and it was, it's really really fun to do and I mean, one of the one of my favorite things about doing scores, as opposed to writing kind of albums and stuff like that, is that you know it, it is on the extreme end of every single little piece has to mean something so important because you're just you're working with so little. Do you know what I mean? Like an album, you could have like five or six elements or five or six different things happening at the same time, whereas with a score, like it needs to be maybe two or three things that are happening, and those have to be like perfect. So it's like really, really. Um, it feels great when you find like this sound that really, really works for the thing you're trying to kind of convey, you know, it's great. It's wild as well how like on a couple of tracks on the, on the score, you do hear dialogue excerpts from the film Mm. and, uh, Ian Hardwick and Danielle Galligan both sound lovely with your music. Like it it works. (laughs) It's like, it's a gorgeous kind of combination. And I think like it's, it just, yeah, it it all just kind of comes together quite beautifully. I'm, I'm curious, Rob, you mentioned earlier on, like, you know, you had some reference points for this film. I'm curious as to what they are, if you're willing to share them, whether it's from a visual point of view, but also from a music point of view. Is there anything you kind of wanted to, not obviously just emulate as a sound alike, but like, did anything inspire you when it came to the, the aesthetic of the film, both for the eyes and the ears? Yeah, yeah. Um, visually, I suppose we were kind of looking at a lot of films that were kind of made around our our budget that looked really you would never notice the budget. So stuff like uh, Andrew Haig's Weekend, uh, stuff like Chloe Zhao's first two films, um, a lot of stuff like that, like um, Andrea Arnold's kind of uh, first couple of movies as well that were kind of set in that kind of similar world and kind of make a lot of, we're looking to kind of combo that kind of handheld up close claustrophobia with kind of the more kind of wide, wide shots that are quite beautiful but can also be quite, quite lonely at the same time so those were kind of um, reference points um, I suppose as well stuff like the Chloe Jowd films in terms of sound as well they, they were never too busy in terms of telling the audience how to feel or anything like that um, but also kind of really lifted every scene they were in so um, but like we didn't want to I think we had a really good trust of Dahi from the last film and just his incredible body work he has. Like, so we weren't so worried about overburdening him with too many uh, references. Yeah. Because um, sometimes you can end up, I think, it can end up over, you know, it's it's nice yeah, to be collaborative in that way and, and have, you know, you don't want to end up having replicas of other things when it could be something original and often that triggers something in yourself that is like 
you know that's why it's such a collaborative art form what's so great about it is because it, it becomes greater through what you the people you work with so that's what was such a pleasure about it yeah that's a big thing I hate temp tracks <laughs> because like <laughs> it completely closes you down for like what, what people are expecting did you get a version of the film with a temp track or was it just no so they gave me a, a completely silent version well not a silent version but a, a version with absolutely no music and I'm really glad they did because it's often it's often the harder thing and you know like I mean the more I work on on kind of score stuff the more I kind of realise that that's like what good direction is it's like you know you might have like an idea of where you want something to go but sometimes like the best directors will just like they'll be able to pull something out of you and that's like a really valuable thing to have in a director where they kind of they elevate you to a level if you know what I mean which is great you know yeah um, so to go back to the film like the performances we've 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 gushed over Anna Hardwick it really is a great performance as keen uh, Danny Galligan though uh, magnificent uh, yeah, she plays good. she plays the character of Grace who uh, like it's implied that they had some kind of you know maybe a will they won't they thing when they were younger she comes back from London uh, where she's working as a nurse her father is ill and it's kind of the small town thing of, I guess, the one that got away for him and maybe for her as well. And they kind of resume uh, a friendship uh, around the time that he is getting more and more vulnerable. And I, I, I found their dynamic absolutely fascinating. I, I thought it was really, really beautiful. And the performances are just knockout. Like, they're like, I mean, I'm aware that, like, look, it's your film. You're not going to be like, like, not say a nice thing about them. But you must have been fucking delighted with what you got. <laughs> like, I mean, there's just no way around it, right? A big time like as soon as the first weekend we had them down to, to Longford just to hang out we were like they had, they had great chemistry um, they'd actually done a play put together years before they were in the Lear Academy together um, but years apart like two I think two two or three years apart but they knew of each other a little bit but uh, as soon as we got down um, they were amazing and I think we all kind of hung out a lot uh, outside of it and Kind of became friends there, and I think it kind of really helped the film as well. Like uh, that, you know, they were good, good friends. Uh, we still are, all are good mates and hang out often. Like I think that was kind of great for kind of the comfortableness uh, everyone had and, and directing them as well. But like they're they're just amazing. Like and the two of them are they've got a load of stuff coming up now. Like they've got a couple of really big roles. Aina's got a BBC show opposite Timothy, Timothy Spall coming out in a few weeks. He's the lead. Um, and Danny is everywhere at the moment. She's in Kin. Yeah, she's, she's doing Netflix, Netflix show. Yeah. Dan, she she had like some one. Netflix show, some like YA thing, was it? Yeah. She's on, like, she, she's like a net, she, she's in one of these Netflix shows that are like quite like teen based yeah. or whatever. Like so she has yeah. this like huge following like underneath <laughs> the thing where if she mentions like the film or the music or anything like that, you suddenly get all these followers underneath <laughs> yeah. the thing. So, it's like, wild. this is the thing. It's like, you know, if, if, if you and Patty get actors into your movies, they just shoot to superstars. They're star makers. <laughs> they are. They're star yeah. makers. Yeah, How yeah, do you yeah. feel about that? Like, I, I, mean, I need <laughs> to get in as an extra at some point as well. I, like, I think you're doing okay. Don't you? <laughs> I think you're doing all right. I loved in the film, I love the contrasting relationships between. Grace's father and Keen's father and with each other because like you know it's quite a combative thing with Keen and his dad and they actually have a very lovely moment at the end of the film no spoilers or nothing uh, Grace's situation is different she's home to try and care for her father and again like you know not to keep bringing this back to me but like you know regular since the podcast well now I lost my father uh, a year and a, a bit ago at this stage and even like right now uh, I was just saying this to a friend last night I was like it feels fresh all over again and I'm you know I'm not, I'm not like it's not I'm currently having a bad time with it like it's just I, I keep encountering, and even like the aforementioned of all things, the Ed Sheeran documentary, I keep encountering uh, films and music and, you know, TV shows uh, where grief will, will, will be a thing. And I keep hearing, 
you know, you're not the same person before or after certain events in your life and whatever. And just those those complex relationships you have. And I think it can, it's obviously a universal thing, but I do think it can be a very Irish thing. Just lots of stuff not said and just the, the physical distance you can have between people. And I thought the actors captured all that quite wonderfully. And like I watched this and I was very much like, I was hit by that obviously on a, you know, you could not relate to it on that level, but I thought it was handled with, with tremendous grace actually to name the character again. But um, <laughs> like that's got to be tough. And I think a lot of that probably comes from even some of the other actors like Lorcan Cranich is fucking excellent in this. He's so good. Yeah. As Keane's father. Because again, like, I mean, I think there was times when I was like, oh, you know, like it's a familiar thing, the, you know, the, the, the angry father, but there's more to him and the act, the, act, the performance really underscores that. So uh, it, how was it working with, with, with the kind of like the supporting actors in that regard to try and find that dynamic? Yeah, it was, it was amazing working with Lorcan. Um, the big thing we, we talked about is that he does have the compassion for his son, but he just doesn't have the, the language to communicate it. Mm. So it's communicated through, you see it in the film kind of, I suppose, like the little things he does, which is might be as small as, making a meal for him or whatever, yeah, or, you know, like these kind of, these kind of tells, yeah, these kind of tells that were a little bit less like, um, or that stuff where he wants him to go places. He's just like, I'm going to go bring these to the market. Like, yeah. Come with me kind of thing. Like, you know, yeah. Like little tells like that. Cause I suppose of that generation, it is just a little bit, uh, I mean, I know not everyone, every, every uh, one in that generation is the same, but it's, it's very prevalent. Like it's quite difficult. It can be quite difficult to, 100%. to communicate openly. Um, but um, yeah, so we wanted to kind of just show it um, through that kind of the little tells and stuff. And obviously there's a bigger reveal as it goes on and a big, a bigger moment like, but just to tread that through it. Then in terms of like the other actors, like um, they were great. Like, you know, um, Gary Lydon, he, he came fresh off the, the island to come to us. He was in, <laughs> That's wild. in Banshees That's across yeah, on yeah, the Aran yeah. Islands and he travel back to he's great in this yeah as the as the coach of the football club and again that kind of tough man archetype but obviously you can tell that he cares about Keane as a person like he does he doesn't want to see him fuck it up yeah but he also maybe pushes him too hard like it's that kind of contradiction and yeah he inhabited that perfectly like yeah a big part of it was kind of looking at these kind of archetypes that can be considered 2Ds sometimes and kind of chipping past that into that like next because there's a real person behind every, everyone like in these small towns and some a lot of time they're written off by their kind of dominant traits and we were kind of looking to get a little bit past that and go, well, everyone, you know, they have a deeper self than, you know, the most obvious mm. thing and even if they are hard asses who live giving bollockens constantly, they have... Uh, <laughs> They have soft sides. Like a bit like yourself, you know. <laughs> but there are there are gorgeous moments like like that, and I will say, like again, not going into plot details necessarily, but like there was towards the end, there was at least one moment where I'm not going to lie to you. I actually was watching the film, and I was like, "Please don't do what you might do here." <laughs> and then it didn't, and I was like, "Thank God," because I was like, "Please avoid this cliche." I'm begging you, and you did. You subverted it. You wrong-footed me. Uh, like a like like a swift-footed GA player, uh, but I but I I was I was terrified for a second. Uh, I'm intrigued to hear what this uh, <laughs> viewers have to go watch the film and guess well, what Dave is talking. And, and, and I do want to get across as well. I mean, like you know, even like I was kind of saying earlier on, I was you know, I was saying like Akeem isn't the most likable, but like it's he's human, and like you know, the film is affecting. It's not depressing. I mean, I I was I, I found myself very moved by it, and by the ending, I really I kind of I kind of I kind of breathed like not a sigh of relief, but just like. Like it felt very empathetic, and I, th- I thought it ended quite lovely. Like, like it has a really kind of 
nice landing to it. But again, I, I was there was a moment where I was like, oh god, don't ruin this. <laughs> I was like, don't 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 make that decision as a writer, and you didn't. So, but I think that was me and Hot Press, you know, putting in the right direction. But um, yeah, no, um, Lakelands is the film, of course. Uh, before we wrap up talking about it, I do want to play another track if I can, just a bit of the track that plays over the end credits, if that's all right, because it's actually the only track on the album to feature a featured artist, and I want to kind of talk mm. about how that came to be and what you wanted that to convey. So let's have a listen to that one, please. Smoky days came and exhaled Shaky brown had me pulling weight Trips around the states, I weren't keen to stay But if peer pressure hears your name call, you don't have a say And if the shades call, you don't say your name And if the lights flash, then we taking chase Go ahead and light that smoke until your brains That's the tone of my home missile Awful dreams of getting out of life alive Unholy schemes utilized to try survive Get out the dirt, easy, nah, you'd be surprised Cause when gold's in the soil, it's so hard to say goodbye once more to be a fool, walking school through the foggy do don't know it all, flying blind. So that's the last track on the score. It is the track that plays over the end credits of this film that you're all going to go and see. Lakelands, select cinemas, go see it. Uh, Strange Boy is the name of the featured artist on that track, Dahi. And when he pops up after all of the, you know, the kind of, the score that gets in, it gets under your skin, you know, the kind of smoky pervasiveness of it in a good way. Um, I, this fucking voice comes out of nowhere and I was like yeah. what <laughs> how did this collaboration come together was this always in the cards what did you want to convey with it and, and uh, yeah, like this is this is barely a, a collaboration from my end it was, it was actually Robin, Robin and Paddy actually pinpointed this track I mean it had been out for a while it had been out for about a year or two years or whatever but like the first the first verse has like a line so like I want Keen to stay and like the first like thing I, I mean I, I think it's, it's a really interesting choice because you know obviously Strange Boy is talking about Limerick City extremely different area from where where we're talking about here but like there's a kind of a there's an interesting kind of tie between like like a kind of a young guy in the city's kind of experience and and uh, and the the person in Lakelands you know it's kind of got this weird thing and then it also just sits so well in the rest of the score as well so um, I remember when you guys kind of went like this should be a thing and I was like holy god that's so right like it's like absolutely perfect so yeah great to have it on yeah yeah like we were delighted to get it like um, big thanks to Strange Boy and uh, Enda for for coming on board the the film like uh f- first time we heard it um it just really stuck out and it had uh lyrics it's just, just a lot of parallels within the lyrics it was an emotional kind of comparison it just felt like a, a nice fit and i think musically and i think he's doing something kind of quite unique there that's kind of mm-hmm. you know he's kind of mixing rap and trad there in a kind of interesting way and like thought that was an interesting little parallel with the film in that ours it's a quite traditional film but quite it's very much set in the modern world and there was kind of that little parallel as well uh, and with some of Dahi's music as well there was that parallel so I guess it, was, it just really felt like kind of the the right the right kind of end and we just were really keen to get the right end for the for the for the song that had that kind of 
bittersweet kind of feeling to it. Oh yeah, not a dry eye in the house. It's <laughs> a hard thing to do, isn't it? Like the very last kind of thing and everything as well. It works. It does though. Yeah. Like it, like I mean, I found it jarring to begin with because again, it was like out of nowhere in a way. And you know this track or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I, I it, it, it all works. It's all of a piece to use that phrase that I hate that every film podcast uses. <laughs> it's all of a piece. <laughs> but it is. It actually genuinely is. And it's a gorgeous film. It really, really is. Uh, so congratulations uh, to Robert and of course Patty as well. And to you, Dahi, as well. Oh, so congratulations thank you, thank to you both. You. Uh, yeah, big fucking weekend. The film's out now, of course. film's out now, yeah. yeah. If- yeah. You're going to the IFTAs. Right off yeah, onto the IFTAs for another bit of a bash. Uh, I, hope <laughs> you win, I hope you win every award. I hope you win other people's awards that you're not nominated for. Different, every category across the board. And uh, I hope you make a show of yourself. I, I want to see, like, Monday morning, like... You know, just like like put the Eftas back on the map again from a from a crazy point of view. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Punch yeah. somebody. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. We're gonna be the Matty Healy of the Eftas. <laughs> Run on stage and interrupt someone's acceptance speech. You know, just just make it happen. So uh, yeah, thank you both for coming in. Appreciate thank it. You. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. Thanks so much. Uh, so yeah, that's an encore for this week, everybody. Uh, something a bit different, but I encourage you highly to go and check out Lakelands wherever you can. Legally, of course, support <laughs> support this film. It is great, and I'm delighted that the guys came in. So go check it out. Don't miss it. It's Lakelands. It's out now, and the podcast will be back next week. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.